Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. Well, this week it's a double header focused on the Australian national blockchain that was announced recently. It's Australia's first cross-industry large-scale blockchain and the CSIRO's data has partnered with law firm Herbert Smith Freehills and IBM to make it happen. So I thought I'd get a representative from both sides and to kick things off, here's Dr. Mark Staples, Senior Research Scientist at CSIRO's Data61 to explain what exactly it is. Mark, Data61 has formed a consortium with uh, Herbert Smith Freehills and IBM to create the first large-scale blockchain. It seems to be some sort of public facility called the Australian National Blockchain. Tell us what it is. Yeah, it's a uh, an initiative to create a new piece of national digital infrastructure, uh, and it'll have a blockchain as a significant part of, of that. And then it's it's really, you know, I guess a lot of other blockchain platforms that are being developed, especially private blockchains, are focusing on specific, quite narrow use cases in, in specific uh, industries or, or vertical applications, whereas this is really meant to cross a whole lot of different industries and use cases, and, and it's really starting with legal contracts as, as the sort of basis for for the operation of the blockchain. So how will a law firm go about using it? What what use will it be? And, and uh, so what, do they just rent it or what? Yeah, it will be some kind of service available uh, to law firms and, and large enterprise. So it, it starts with the legal contracts. It'll start by kind of identifying and, and tracking legal contracts and amendments to them over time. But it's not just tracking the legal contract itself. It's about, you know, part of the vision is about taking legal contracts, you know, out of the drawer that they're normally stored in and putting them more into the center of business operations. So being able to attach little bits of automation to specific clauses that are related to specific clauses in those legal contracts. So being able to have more automated business operations and and the data associated with those tied to specific legal clauses clauses in legal contracts and, and tracking both of those over time. Is it fair to say that it's something like data storage or is it much more than that? So it's about data storage for the contracts and data storage for some of the uh, business events that businesses work with, business data. But it's also going to be you know, a computer platform in a way. So it, it'll, these, smart, these are going to be smart legal contracts, so they're going to have little bits of behavior attached to them as well, so small scripts. So it's not just data, it's also behavior. Uh, you were <laughs> able to explain what you mean by that? So are you familiar with sort of the, the concept of smart contract in the blockchain world? And well, vaguely, yes. Uh, but, but let's assume let's assume yeah, we're, let's assume we're not familiar with it. Okay. So a blockchain is a ledger and it stores um, information about transactions that you know, which are usually just financial transactions in cryptocurrency. But these transactions can also store the results of executing little programs. So these little programs are stored on the ledger. And the results of executing them are also stored on the ledger. So, and and people call these little programs smart contracts. Um, and they can be, uh, you know, although they're not always smart, they they can be quite simple programs. And they're not always contracts. Sometimes they're just little bits of convenient program that people want to run for various purposes on the blockchain. But 
these smart contracts can be used for all sorts of business automation purposes. So they can be used to calculate like a, like a little shared spreadsheet between parties. They can be used to calculate little formulae or um, make little tiny business decisions. Some of the research we're doing at Data61 is using smart contracts to execute business processes that, um, that are between multiple organizations. So it can be used as a workflow execution engine. So all of those are sort of you know, common uses for smart contracts on, on blockchains. And that's, I guess, what we're trying to bring also to the smart legal contracts is some of that capability for supporting you know, the behaviours or the executions or the events, the activities that are shared between parties in relation to their legal contracts. So is this the first time a country has tried to build or started to build what you'd call a national blockchain? That's an interesting question. I don't. I think there are some other. I think Spain uh, has one. I've just its name has slipped my mind. That's probably yeah, in Spanish. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. Yeah. So I don't know that it's the first, but uh, it's definitely something we envisage as as a piece of national digital infrastructure for Australia. And you know, th- there may be a model that can be replicated in other jurisdictions, but partly because we're focused on legal contracts as the setting. It, it kind of makes sense to to replicate it on a, on a per jurisdiction basis. Um, I think you or to focus uh, on one jurisdiction at a time. Mark, I think you said that you saw legal contracts as being the start of it. How wide do you think the usage of the um, Australian national blockchain will become? Yeah, so it's it's sort of grounded in legal contracts, and to start with, you know, we want to make them smarter legal contracts. And to start with, the kinds of data and behaviour we're going to tie into the legal contracts might be quite simple, but we want to have a framework that can really grow a lot of the business value, you know, to, to achieve more automation and to achieve a wider breadth of contracts over time. We're not targeting consumers. Uh, it's, it's sort of an enterprise uh, focus at the moment. Yeah, but um, so- how wide could it go? It's meant to be a fairly generic uh, infrastructure applicable to, uh, you know, a wide range of industries. I suppose uh, I suppose contracts are by nature legal documents, so it's it's kind of by definition um, something to do with the law. Yeah, um, yeah. Contracts are kind of private private law created between parties. I'm not a lawyer, but um, it's an interesting area. I, I'm so Data sixty one's role in this is uh, looking at the sort of technology and software architecture aspects of the blockchain. But we also have some other work on what's called computational law or legal informatics, and where you know we have a team that's one of the world leading defining logics that represent. So that's also part of, from Data 61's point of view, part of the strategic interest is in, um, you know, as a channel for some of that research. Uh, Mark, you said you're not targeting consumers at this stage at all about enterprises, but do you think that at some st- stage? this blockchain that you're building or something like it would be able to be used by people to bypass the legal system to actually do contracts just with each other and not involve lawyers? Yeah, I mean, uh, people doing contracts with each other, it doesn't bypass the legal system. It just bypasses law firms. Um, <laughs> but And people do that all the time in business. So, you know, that's... So, yes, potentially. So I think the, the platform we're hoping to create would allow... Um, you know, legal legal firms to facilitate interactions between enterprise, but should also allow enter- enterprises to to work with each other as well directly. 
and could do on, uh, on the nature uh, of the relationship. And could do that as soon as it's built. Uh, yes, well, that's, we're not we're not particularly. Um, so that would be my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when do you think this yeah. is going to be we're finished? Not, when when is this we're national? Not, we're not target oh. no, no, uh, I understand. When will it be finished? Yeah. Um, it's so we're we're doing we're at the stage now of of doing uh, identifying pilot and uh, proof of concept projects to to build out the platform and demonstrate some value. Uh, that will move into a limited availability phase later next year, and then the the idea is for a, a more general availability probably in 2020 or so. Right. Great to talk to you, Mark. Thank you. Okay. Anytime. And joining me now is Natasha Bleicher, blockchain and smart legal contract lead at Herbert Smith Freehills to drill into how it's going to work. Well, Natasha, Mark Staples has explained what the Australian National Blockchain is. Can you tell us how you're going to use it? Is it just for your clients or do you see it as a separate business? No, I think that... Um, it would be easy to look at it and say this is a blockchain for the law, but that would be a misunderstanding. What this is is a blockchain for business, for the public and private sector, but it's legal. So the legal component is not about the industry. It's about having an actual platform that can be used legally. I don't understand. You mean it's for it's for the law to use or for all businesses to use? It's for all businesses to use. One of the problems of some of these new technologies around smart contracting and blockchain technology is that the actual use of them is not permissible legally for some of the sort of clients that we deal with, which are large corporate entities. By that I might mean they may not mean meet the cybersecurity requirements of a large listed organisation. Or in terms of smart contracting, it doesn't allow for your complex contracts to take place within the confines of very simple smart contracting. So what this platform about is about, or the ecosystem about, is allowing for those technologies to be used legally. So it's not just for the legal industry, it's for business generally, but it's allowing us to use these new technologies in a legal way. So what's the threshold for using them legally? What do you have to do to make using the blockchain legal? Well, I think that there's, a, there's two different answers because we're talking about two different products. But the first one is the smart legal contract and the threshold would be is that you can meet the traditional obligations of a contract. So, you know, historically a contract has many requirements. The you know, offer, acceptance, consideration has to be something that's interrogatable. And a smart contract that just executes off a couple of senses doesn't necessarily have those traditional legal obligations met. So that's the threshold test is can we embed the smart contracting technology into the traditional framework and tick in the box? Hopefully, yes, that's what we're working towards. Now, if you have a smart legal contract, so that's a now a traditional contract mark two. So it's a contract that is no longer just a piece of paper. It's a living thing, which is in effect a piece of software. If a contract is a piece of software, you need somewhere to run it. And what we realised at Herbert Smith Freehills is there was nowhere to run effectively or legally a contract of that nature. And when we looked at the big public blockchains where you effectively don't know who the people who hold a copy of the ledger are, whereas the system that we've proposed is that you have large corporate entities and the public sector and regulators holding together that platform, albeit encrypted still. 
So you're able to meet some of the requirements, the legislative requirements, for example, in our privacy law about this, the state of the cyber security, which the sort of contract as a profession that we we deal with have to meet those requirements. Um, so apparently the, the Australian National Blockchain is going to be a joint venture, uh, or building it as a joint venture between um, uh, Data61 at CSIRO, yourselves, um, Herbert Smith Freehills and IBM. Will that uh, constitute the ownership of us as well? Um, the other um, group that we're working with at this consortium, consortium level is uh, Kingwood Mallisons. This is the most interesting part of the blockchain, if you ask me, and certainly one of the reasons that I'm personally involved in the project is because if you have a connective digital tissue between businesses and that connective tissue creates at its fulsome nature a very large ecosystem, that is actually a very powerful piece of infrastructure. And it's also one that has high cybersecurity risk. So you want to ensure that the people who are, let's call it, are holding up the sky of that network, do so in, in a high integrity way and in a way that's cyber secure. So when you look at the ownership of the actual blockchain, you, can, you, you don't want to see a centralised authority taking control of that blockchain. So it would be a mistake to say this is a HSF blockchain or this is an IBM blockchain. The beauty of the platform is that the governance of the platform is distinct from the ownership model of the platform. So notwithstanding that, of course, those entities who have already named will be part of the ownership structure, the governance of the blockchain is one member, one vote, which is highly irregular in a, in a business shareholding arrangement. So if it is that we have 100 network participants looking to include, for example, in that charities and other institutions who are not part of the ownership structure, when it comes to key decision-making around the infrastructure, all of those members have a vote. So are you saying that the owners... Are you, saying that the, are you saying that the four owners won't have a vote? Yes, of course they'll have a vote, but they will only be one member out of the all the network participants' vote. Huh, right. And, so and This is where we're trying to take the best of that sort of democratised blockchain idea that comes from your crypto punks and turn it into something that's A, usable for business, but B, retains the best of those democratised features. So what will it cost to be a member? So that's still up for grabs. We're still working out the detail around that. But I, can you leave it with me for now? Sounds like I'll have to. <laughs> You'll have to. <laughs> no, but it'll, it, there'll be, a, is, the, is the idea that basically you join it and pay a membership fee or do you become a customer? Of it. it depends. I mean, suffice to say, I mean, I'll go back a step and say what we're offering is commensurate with other blockchain projects, but it's probably on the low end of what's being offered by other blockchain projects because we have this larger vision for Australia and building something great for the nation. Um, in terms of the actual users, there will be different categories of use, but broadly based around the subscription model or software as a service. So you might have someone who's a, a law firm who sits as a network participant. That means we use the platform, but we're also somebody who is holding a copy of the ledger encrypted together with our other network participants. Then there will be benefits to you to being a subscriber and a user. And so the that person gets a vote, whereas a casual user perhaps doesn't. Is that right? 
absolutely, that's exactly right. When do you think this will all get going? Well, technical solutions are on foot now. We are looking to sign up people as we speak. And, and you know, because of the people that you're talking to, these large corporate entities like um, HSF and IBM, you, we've been doing our due diligence for a long time. We're working on these projects behind the scenes for two years. Thanks very much for talking to us today. No problem. Lovely to speak to you too, Alan. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch Market Wrap with market commentator Saeed Sadawi. News this week includes one of the world's largest cryptocurrency on-ramps, Gemini, has announced they're launching a US dollar-backed stablecoin built on the Ethereum blockchain. With backing from the US Department of Financial Services, the pegged US $1 cryptocurrency dubbed the Gemini dollar marks an important milestone for the crypto ecosystem in the wake of numerous stablecoins struggling to gain traction as they lacked governing recognition. Interestingly enough, another stablecoin entered the cryptosphere this week, again boasting regulatory support. The blockchain startup Paxos and its cryptocurrency titled the Paxos Standard burst onto the scene this week with backing from, yet again, the New York Department of Financial Services. Providing liquidity for market participants and an authentic digital alternative to cash without the volatility rather, stablecoins, especially those with regulatory support, are critical to the longevity of this sector. A report out this week has detailed that nearly half the initial coin offerings or ICOs launched since the beginning of 2017 have failed to raise necessary funds. A report from the research and consulting firm Graspark Partners has found almost 1,000 surveyed ICOs failed to raise any funding, with another 743 token sales failing to raise over US $1 million. And some local news this week, the state of New South Wales has turned to blockchain in a statewide test for driver license digitalization. Well and truly leading the charge for Australia in the race for adoption, New South Wales will conduct the test in November of this year with over 120,000 license holders prior to a formal rollout scheduled for 2019. The hope of this integration is to enable drivers to present their digital credentials via mobile application for fraud-free identity verification. Investment bank giant Goldman Sachs has this week decided to momentarily drop their plans to launch a cryptocurrency trading desk. While not abandoning their idea completely and claiming the decision was largely due to the regulatory uncertainty inherent with this sector, Goldman was at one stage on track to potentially launch both a Bitcoin futures market and a fully-fledged crypto custody service. And finally, despite the lackluster price action from the industry, the blockchain patent war has never been hotter, with major financial and technological firms taking charge. Number one with the most registered blockchain-related patents is the Chinese internet giant Alibaba with over 90 associated patents. Second and third on the list with 80 and 53 registered patents are both IBM and MasterCard, respectively. And now onto the market wrap-up. We've had the best of both worlds over the past couple weeks. With strong price action last week was especially encouraging as Bitcoin led the way to almost US 7500. Alt price action rather followed very close. However, since then we've seen yet another drawdown from local highs to the current price of US 6300. Market cap this week is down a massive US 45 billion or 19% as Bitcoin dominance has ticked upwards to over 56%. 
with Bitcoin testing major support in the US 6000s and historical evidence suggesting the more times crucial support such as this is tested, the higher chance it will break down. Many participants are signaling for further lows yet to come. Much of the top 100 this week has followed suit, down on average 20-25% to 25% each. With news such as the Gemini stablecoin, however, launching on the Ethereum blockchain, this has signaled good news for Ethereum holders as a regulatory supported stablecoin will likely lead to an influx of both capital and users, signaling for potential positive price action yet to come. And finally, the majors Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin are down on average a brutal 25.7%. And that's all for the weekly wrap up guys. I'm Saeed Sadawi and I'll see you next time. Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by Broke for free.